Happy Friday, everyone. It is the Colby Daniels Podcast. We've got a guest coming up in just a moment. A quick reminder as Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are back in action this weekend following the Big 12 bye week. Mike Steely and I have pregame coverage at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning before Oklahoma's 11 a.m. matchup with TCU. Again, every game day, two hours before kickoff, we have pregame coverage. You can find the link at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter. Easy to follow. Come hang out with us, and uh, we'll get you ready for the big game on Saturday. Big game, though. Oklahoma, TCU, after the bye week, after the Red River rivalry win. Same thing for Oklahoma State. They haven't played in in what's going to be nearly three full weeks without action. So they have a big matchup against Iowa State that I'm really excited to watch on Saturday afternoon. The winner of that game, I think, is in incredible position to make the Big 12 championship. Also really excited about UFC 254, which is happening on Saturday from Fight Island, the conclusion of their month-long stay at Fight Island. This card is incredible. It's going to be kind of a weird deal because the main card, I believe, starts at 1 o'clock Oklahoma time, 1 p.m. Oklahoma time. So you're talking about a main event with Habib, Nurmagomedov and Justin Gaethje somewhere in the vicinity of about 3.30 p.m. tomorrow afternoon. So that's going to be an an incredible card. Six fights on the main card, but that main event is probably, from a hype standpoint at least, the most excited I've ever been about a matchup in MMA history. These two guys come into this thing with completely different styles. Khabib might be the greatest of all time. He hasn't fought in over a year. We just watched Justin Gaethje completely dominate Tony Ferguson a few months ago, and he is, without a doubt, at the best level he's ever been. So I'm really excited about this matchup. I can't wait to see which way it goes, and the whole card is going to be terrific. But first, we've got a big college football weekend. Our guest coming up in just a moment. If you'd like to contact me, you can do so via Twitter at Colby underscore Daniels, Instagram, Colby.Daniels. If you're on the Instagram page, then you're able to get a little bit more little behind-the-scenes stuff from time to time. So make sure you check that out as well. All right, today's guest on the Colby Daniels podcast. My guest today returns to the Colby Daniels podcast. You know him from the Tulsa Sports Animal. He is the co-host of the Pat Jones Show. Eric G joins me virtually. And there's his graphic. Eric G, what's going on, my friend? Oh, man, uh, getting ready for a huge weekend of football, Colby. And I, I can't remember the last time where all three teams in the state of Oklahoma had such extremely crucial games between Tulsa with a chance to make a statement tonight playing South Florida and get on a roll and improve from what they did last year. OSU, who's in the top 10, has their first show-me game of the season where they could beat Iowa State and get on a roll themselves. And OU, who's in desperate need of continuity and consistency, and can they build off that win for Texas playing TCU? So it's a pretty exciting weekend here in the state, and we don't get that very often. I mean, we might get one or two of these teams playing, playing some big games at the same time, but all three, that's that's pretty fun to talk about. You know, I know you guys in Tulsa talk more about the Tulsa Golden Hurricane than we do in Oklahoma City, but I, I kind of felt bad for them a week ago because, you know, they had their COVID issues when the season began, obviously with the Oklahoma State situation. Uh, they've turned out to be a pretty good football team, and then they find themselves in this position with Oklahoma on a bye week in a year that the Sooners aren't as good as expected. Oklahoma State then has their game against Baylor canceled, and Tulsa was the only game in town, and they had a top-10 matchup, and they were kind of poised to get all of the eyeballs of, of the entire state on them, and then they have to cancel the game, and, and everything gets delayed a little bit. But 
Man, what a tough break for Philip Montgomery and that crew. It's that's the most Tulsa thing ever. I mean, it's just kind of the way that it that, that it happens with that school because you you do live in the shadows of, of OU and OSU, and that's the way that it's going to be. The thing that hurt them more than not getting to play and getting the attention is the fact that now they go into this USF game having 20 days off, and you're playing a team even in in South Florida who's one and four. They're one and four this year, so they're not a very good football team. But they've got five games under their belt, where Tulsa only has two. And even if Tulsa is clearly the better team, you can see a scenario kind of playing out tonight where maybe Tulsa gets behind, maybe they show a little rust, and it ends up being a lot like that Central Florida game where you're relying. You're relying on some big plays to to get you back in in the game. I think the good thing about Tulsa going into this game is that you've got a guy in Zayvon Collins who can make some big-time plays. Hopefully, he can force some turnovers. And if there are any struggles inside the offense and Zach Smith is is having some issues getting going, just keep the game close. Keep it tight. I think Tulsa ultimately wins this game because USF is not that good, but still – that 20 days off is going to is going to be a problem for them and i think it might be a problem for oklahoma state tomorrow against iowa state yeah that's probably my favorite game of the weekend across the board oklahoma state iowa state and and you know some of that is because we have the big 12 ties and and that's the conference that we follow every day but i think at this point if you're putting together a power poll those are the two teams that probably are most deserving of the top two spots when you look at what is ahead for both of those teams, especially with Iowa State, if they're able to cross this bridge on Saturday in Stillwater, I mean, it is. it seems like it's smooth sailing for them the rest of the way. This is a big-time matchup that I, I think the winner has an incredible shot of punching their ticket to a Big 12 championship appearance. And, you know, again, I think these teams are, are similar in some ways. You talk about having a veteran quarterback, and, and that's assuming that Spencer Sanders – is the guy, and I know they said he's going to be out there. I don't know what they're going to do with Illingworth, and, and maybe there's a way they find out how to screw the quarterback thing up even more by, by you know, interchanging those guys throughout the ball game. But the point is, they both have experienced quarterbacks that have played Big 12 games. They both have running games, ideally, that are going to carry the load with Brees Hall and Shuba Hubbard, and they probably have the best two defenses in the league. Yeah, they do. Um, and that's what that's what makes this game so interesting, Colby, because this is going to be the first Big 12, maybe the only Big 12 game we watch all year long where, where it's low scoring. And, and it doesn't turn into a battle of who has the ball last. The thing that you like about Oklahoma State's defense is while they have a tendency to give up big plays – Get them in the red zone. And they have a tendency to tighten up. They don't make a they don't make a lot of mistakes in coverage. They don't make a lot of mistakes as far as how they line up. They do a good job of tackling. I think with Oklahoma State, the thing that you got to worry about is if Iowa State is able to kind of grind this game out and keep them off the field. Do do you get into a situation where, where they get a little panicky offensively, and and do you have an a, an offensive coordinator that just just can't be patient himself because that's what could possibly happen in this game. I think that's the only way Oklahoma State loses is if they get a little panicky and they decide to decide kind of not to let the game come come to them because that may be how they have to beat Iowa State is they may have to grind it out too and keep them off the field as well. I think their defense can keep I think Oklahoma State's defense can keep Iowa State in check, but I do wonder are you going to 
score quickly and give Iowa State the ball back. <laughs> Iowa State keeps the ball for you know four or five minutes at a pop, just just eating up clock all all, all the time during this game. Yeah, look, I think you score points any way you can against Iowa State, and, and I think the same is true against that Oklahoma State defense. If you have the opportunity to, to big strike, you take it at any opportunity you can. Points, I think, are going to be valuable in this game. There's a faction of the Oklahoma State fan base, to your point about just screwing it up and, and maybe you know not following a game plan or finding a way to, to do the thing that you shouldn't do in this matchup. There's a faction of the Oklahoma State fan base, I think, that kind of expects that's going to be the case every single time they play a football game. Well, I mean, look, you've, you've got a, a new offensive coordinator in, in Casey Dunn. I don't think Oklahoma State this year is really that, that kind of screw-it-up team. You were mentioning about the quarterbacks and could they mess that situation up. No, I don't think that'll be the case because, one, you've got a seasoned coach in Mike Gundy who played quarterback himself and understands that position maybe better than anybody in the Big 12, and that's not a slide at Lincoln Riley, who was the quarterback whisperer, but, I mean, this is a guy that, that played it at a very high level in college and knows – what it takes to prepare yourself every week. And he's got two, he's got a very unique situation because Spencer Sanders and Shane, Shane Illingworth bring such different aspects to the, to this game. And with Illingworth, he, he's your big play, big arm guy, a little bit more, more mobile than we gave him credit for, but certainly you're not going to confuse him for Spencer Sanders in the running game. And, and I see a situation where, you could use them both. Now, Sanders, the, the thing you got to like about Sanders is if the offensive line is struggling earlier in the game, he can overcome that where Illingworth really can't because he can't move around as well in the pocket. But but I think you could play them both and, and just go as, the, go as the situation dictates. If you find yourself in a hole, it's late, and you need to make big plays, then, yeah, give Shane Illingworth a chance to hit those receivers, get them open, and let them make big plays downfield. I, I certainly believe that there are going to be some, you know, some rust for Spencer Sanders. He's going to have to shake off the cobweb, so to speak, out of the gate. My worry is that this Oklahoma State team evaluates that as as him not being good or not ready to return to action, and maybe the leash is a little bit shorter than it should be. Uh, that shouldn't be the case. I think this is Spencer Sanders' team. Look, we're seeing this with Oklahoma right now. We saw it with Oklahoma State a year ago young quarterbacks and guys going through this thing for the first time are going to make mistakes. It's just going to happen. And for some reason, we just have this idea that after you've played a game or two, you should just be numb to what the college atmosphere is and what the speed of the game is. And, and you're not going to ever make mistakes. And when you do, we have to call for your job. We watched it a year ago with Spencer Sanders. He was really good, especially out of the gate when he got into big 12 play and, and started facing good competition on a weekly basis. Again, we saw him get overwhelmed at times, and we saw him make some really poor decisions. We've seen Spencer Rattler do the same thing, you know, four games into his career at Oklahoma as the starting quarterback. It doesn't mean they're not good players. It just, that's the case with freshman quarterbacks nearly across the board in every situation. So Shane Illingworth, I think, is a really incredible talent. He's got an amazing arm. I think he has a bright future at Oklahoma State. There's going to be a point in time where he is the starting quarterback of the Cowboys, and they are going to be lethal offensively. But do you want to do that in a year where you have potentially the number one defense in school history, where you have two award-winning caliber skill position players with Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard, and you want to throw this guy out there and go through his freshman roller coaster of ups and downs? Spencer Sanders is a talented guy. 
He gives you more versatility in what you can run in the offense with the passing and the running game. And again, he has experience. He's not having to go through this for the first time. And while, you know, I think there are still mistakes to be made for Spencer Sanders, it's not the same ones that you typically, or at least for me, I don't expect him to make the same mistakes that you typically see with freshmen. He's been through that. I, I agree with everything with with 100% with everything you say but but here's the caveat with Shane Illingworth and, and here's why if I'm Mike Gundy I wouldn't hesitate to use him in certain situations unlike Spencer Rattler there's a ton of experience ar- ar- around him so I mean at, at absolute worst you're just turning the ball off and handing it to LD Brown or, 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 or Chuba Hubbard uh, you, you mentioned Tylen Wallace you've got Dylan Stoner out there so these guys, any mistakes that he makes, Oklahoma State has the ability to overcome them. Plus, if he makes a mistake, like like let, let's say it's, it's third quarter and you've, you've alternated these guys and he's driven you downfield, you're behind by seven, you got a chance to tie it up, he throws an interception. Well, in the best case scenario, Oklahoma State forces a three it out. You get the ball back. You can go to Spencer Sanders. Worst case scenario, you're down by 14, but you can still go to Spencer Sanders. You still have a defense that you can rely on that even if you're down by 14, they can keep it close, and Sanders can can, can overcome that. So as far as crushing a guy like Shane Illings, Illingworth, it's a lot easier to crush a guy like Spencer Rattler. And where Rattler, the, the biggest difference that Rattler has to have, Colby, and who who is, I think we talked about this last time, OU doesn't have a leader. They are desperately looking for somebody to carry this team on, on, their, on his shoulders. Rattler has to be that guy, but you don't have Kennedy Brooks. You don't have Trey Sermon. You don't have Ramon Jerry Stevens out there on the field right now. Yeah, you've got Charleston Rambo and you've got Stogner and, and some pretty good receivers to throw to, but your tight end, your receivers aren't guys usually that you look to in, in leadership positions. So for Rattler, you can see him getting crushed under the weight a lot easier than Illingworth because of the way the OU fan base is, is that right now they're expecting a roller coaster, but you let him go out and have a bad day against OS, OSU of all teams. Even if OSU was better, People are going to lose their mind over it. And that could be more damaging to his psyche than Shane Illingworth because I think there's an expectation that with Illingworth, you know, it's there's still enough padding around him that he, he can't do that much damage. I honestly think Spencer or Spencer Rattler, if he's bad, I think it does more damage to Lincoln Riley's psyche than anybody else in OU at this point because now the talk becomes, well, can he only get it done with transfer kids? You know, how good are these kids he's recruiting, which might be a fair criticism in in, in the long run. Well, I think there are people that are already using that as a, a criticism, and, and the, <laughs> the turnovers for, for Spencer Rattler early in this season have, have, you know, I think made a lot of those people that feel that way come to the forefront. But, you know, going back to the Oklahoma State situation, I, I just haven't – look, again, the physical tools are there. I just haven't seen enough from Shane, Shane Illingworth, A – to feel like he is a better option than Spencer Sanders. Again, you like the upside, but, I mean, it's not like he set the world on fire. He played okay in a couple of situations. B, again, there's not as much versatility, and when you look at the offense, I think it's pretty fair to say, going into the season, we all felt like Oklahoma State was going to have a top-five offense in college football. It's been incredibly disappointing. And, again, you understand the reasons why, 
new offensive coordinator, Casey Dunn, you know, he hits the ground running and they, they have a hard time establishing the run game out of the gate for whatever reason, Chuba Hubbard, not that he was bad, but just didn't look like himself. And, and it kind of felt like, you know, in the last time they were playing, he was finding that rhythm a little bit, but the passing game isn't necessarily dynamic. Uh, I, I just, I think you need a guy like Spencer Sanders with versatility that you can o- open up the playbook for to allow this offense to find its footing as opposed to what we've watched the last couple weeks where even though we all understand Shane Illingworth has some pretty incredible tools, it feels like the offense is so limited because they're not willing to put a lot on his plate. No, and and they're not going to. And, and Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy are going to treat that with king, kid gloves. And, I, you know, I the guy I'd like to really talk to about how he's progressing is Tim Rattay and see what Tim Rattay has to say about um, Illingsworth pro- progression. But, you know, you talk about Spencer Sanders and – the one thing about him last year that he got deemed for was, you know, his decision-making and Oklahoma state had to kind of pull the reins back on him and bring him along. And you would think that that's going to be better. The interesting thing about uh, the interesting thing about Spencer Sanders this year is when it comes to the RPO, how many times is he going to call his number, you know, versus maybe there's a situation where it would be better that he throw to a Tylen Wallace to throw to a Dylan Stoner. Does he still believe that he is the best option to go out there and score? And look, sometimes he may be, but there are other times I'd kind of like to see him rely on the people around him a little bit more. There's nothing wrong with leaning on them, especially when they're that good. You've got to use them to your advantage, but Ultimately, I think what Mike Gundy's going to do, and this is just best guess scenario because apparently they've been getting the same amount of reps in practice, whatever you want to read and read into that, um, is I think, you know, I could see him kind of treating this the way that Bob Stoops used to treat running backs. Who's got the hot hand? Who's winning? Who's getting me downfield? And if it's Spencer Sanders and he feels like he's the best option, you may see him an entire game. If for some reason he starts Illingworth and Illingworth is playing well, he may he may just keep him in and, and and let him go. And that sounds a little dangerous to people, but we've seen OSU use two quarterbacks before. I mean, this is this is nothing new for them. In a way, it is a little bit like when who was it? Was it Walsh and Rudolph? Were was that the combination that I'm thinking of when Walsh and Rudolph were kind of playing? You could put Walsh in, in in certain situations you had a package for him and, and that may be what Mike Gundy does and normally I'd be I, I would be just livid with that situation I'm the if you've got two quarterbacks you've got no quarterbacks kind yeah. of guy but 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 for this one I'm okay with it simply because the supporting cast is so good that I don't think you can screw it up that bad I think you got to try really hard to mess up OSU and how many times can we say that? Well, look, you're giving Mike Gundy a lot of credit for the quarterback track record that that I probably am on the other side of the fence with because it, it kind of feels like throughout Mike Gundy's entire career at Oklahoma State, he's chosen the wrong guy and been proven wrong over and over and over when the next guy ends up getting his shot and becomes an all-time great. Yeah, that's – well, no, that's, fa- that's fair. Um, you know, but if, I, if I'm looking at probably the best quor- – I'm trying to think about the best quarterback situation. Well, the best quarterback situation he was in was Brandon Whedon. Um, who who was, he was, chose Alex Kate over. Yeah, and then you find, you find out that he 
<laughs> that he messed up. I mean, and and here's the question that I have: how much of it, how much of that decision is his versus how much of that is Casey Dunn and Tim Rattay's decision at this point? Ultimately, you would think Mike Gundy would have the final say so, but the thing I love, 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 love about the way that Mike Gundy runs that program is that he trusts his assistants and he knows how to coach them as well as he knows how to coach players. And if Retay and Dunn come to him and he's asking, all right, guys, you're the ones that have been working with them. We've been watching them. It's close. Who do you like? I think he relies on, on what they're going to tell him. He'll at least take that into consideration. Um, and that's that's what a head coach is supposed to do. He's supposed to listen to assistants. And some they're going to have a say in this. Um, my thought is you probably see Spencer Sanders start the game. And I would bet, you know, the beginning the same amount of reps in practice, but who's running more with the ones? Don't you have to – it's got to be Spencer Sanders, right? I, I would be – honestly, I would be completely stunned. And, and maybe I shouldn't be, but I would be completely stunned if Shane Ellingworth <laughs> were the starting quarterback on Saturday. I think the only way because that the right it, move the, is Spencer Sanders, so it makes sense that Gundy would choose Illingworth. But yeah, well, the other thing that you you read into that, if for some reason, if by the first couple of series you haven't seen Spencer Sanders back there back on the field, then the the automatic thing you read into it is that ankle is just not as well as we think it is at this point. Yeah. And you I mean, know, it's been if, what four weeks, five weeks now since the injury. Yeah. They, yeah, and they haven't played in twenty. Well, they haven't played in twenty-one yeah. days, yeah. so he's had time to get healthy. And I would have also imagine for a lot of what you're saying, Gundy loves experience. So one thing that that you that Mike Gundy loves the experienced guy more than the new guy. So if there's anything that he's if there's any side that he's going to err on, he will err on experience over over Illingworth being a true freshman. But that'll yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I would expect to see Spencer Sanders out there at the be, at the beginning of that game tomorrow. I, I think and it I, has to be Spencer Sanders, and I think he has to have a lot of leash, and I think you have to just give him this game until maybe he proves that he's not ready to handle it before you make any sort of move. And if it, I don't know, maybe the two quarterback thing could work. Uh, to me, that seems a little bit far fetched because ultimately, what are you doing when you bring Shane Illingworth into the game? Because what we've seen is a very conservative offense with him at the helm the last couple of times that they've been been out there. So it's not like we've we've got a lot of Shane Illingworth to to watch. It's not like he has a ton of reps. He's thrown a total of I had it up just a second ago, forty nine passes on the entire season. And again, you know, I, it kind of felt like, and I don't want to say this in a bad way, but it kind of you know we we I. We have made the term game manager become like one of those bad terms. Like, you know, and and it doesn't, it shouldn't be. But they kind of have made him a game manager the last couple weeks. Again, I just don't know what the benefit is if you're Oklahoma State and you play Spencer Sanders for a couple drives and then you're like, all right, Shane, it's your turn. Are they, are they going to actually let him take advantage of, of what makes him special? Are they going to let him air the ball I, out? Because they haven't I done think, it to this I think point. It 
I think they would in in this game because of, because of, because of how important it is and, and how good the Iowa State defense is. You're gonna you need to stretch them out. In Kansas, here's the thing: don't be too rough on him in Kansas because Oklahoma State didn't have to do a whole lot to win that game. And and the misnomer about that game is for as good as Oklahoma State looked, Kansas is one of the worst football teams in the country. And that defensive line of Kansas is is paper thin. So Oklahoma State's offensive line looked like world beaters last week. They were able to run the ball. You did. You, you, you sort of, by default, the game was already kind of out of Illingworth's hands once you stepped on the field because you're playing a team that you didn't have to throw the ball all that well against. If they're going to need him to stretch the field, it will come this week. I mean, and, and right now, I mean, I know we're looking way far down the road, but I'd love to see Illingworth play against OU secondary right now because I think he'd throw all over. <laughs> I mean, it just. I mean, to be I'm fair, Mike, everybody throws Gundy, all over them. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. If I'm Mike Gundy, I'm telling him every week. Look, even if I bench you from now until almost the end of the season, you're gonna get your shot at OU because man. They're awful, and I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm gonna do it just for anything. I'm gonna do it to help build your stats. We're gonna make your stats look, you know, do, do the Trump thing. You'll make your stats look better than than everybody <laughs> else's stats in America. Um, yeah, I, I would, I would be kind of dangling that carrot out in front of Illingworth every week. You're gonna get your shot against OU. I promise. We'll put you in about the second quarter, and and we won't run a, we won't run the ball a single time. We'll just keep throwing the ball because they can't rush you. And they can't cover any of our receivers. So you want to throw for a thousand yards in a game? This is it. Um, now, Spencer, and the other thing about Sanders is you get him running. Again, you're eating clock, you're eating time, you're keeping the Iowa State offense off the field. And I think that's what Gundy wants to do that as much as possible. The thing about Mike Gundy is, is he wants to run a very balanced offense. And people don't give him a lot of credit for that, but Gundy will tell you he wants to run the ball. You have to run the ball. He'll even trump up the whole, we're Oklahoma State. We run the ball. That's what he wants to do. And I think he loves having a guy that can run the ball in his quarterback as, as well. I mean, Sanders is, is so dynamic. I mean, there's a time I thought he was the best quarterback in the Big 12. I don't know that I still think that because Brock Purdy certainly – has a lot to say in in that argument, but just versatility alone, what he can give you, he can throw on the run. He can, you know, he makes pretty good decisions, but you know, with Illingworth, if I had to start him short intermediate passes to start, get yards after the catch, get going downhill and, and then, and then run the ball. So pass short intermediate passes to set up the run and then grind it out. Yeah. That's how I play this game. Yeah. It, look for me, Spencer Sanders is the guy. Illingworth doesn't come in unless Spencer Sanders is obviously not healthy or you're in a situation where he's played a bad football game and turning the ball over and you've got to start throwing the ball down the field. That's, I mean, those are the only two scenarios where I think, it, at least for me, it would be acceptable to make that move. You're just talking about a guy with more experience and more versatility in the offense. Yeah, and, and I, th I think for big games, because he's been in a big game situation, you know, we haven't seen – I mean, Illingworth, you get – that that first game you come in, you get the luxury of just coming off the bench, so there's not much thinking to it. I mean, you're, you're just going in. You're throwing, you're throwing into the fire. You, you can't overthink the moment. It, where you overthink the moment is that second game you start, and he didn't, do, he didn't do that against West Virginia, and he looked all right against Kansas. But he hasn't played a game where so much is on the line for Oklahoma State. 
And this is what you recruited Spencer Sanders for. So give him the moment. See if he can do it. And if he proves you wrong, which I, and I don't know what that line is. I don't know. Is it, is it one interception? And you're like, all right, seen enough. Is it two interceptions and you're down by a couple of scores and you just feel like you need a change? Because the thing about this game is you get down too much, it could get away from you. And Oklahoma State just cannot afford to let this game get away because there's so much on the line right now. They are the only team from the Big 12 that has any shot of going to the playoffs. You cannot screw this up. What I mean, and that sounds so horrible to say that. I mean, but they have to go out and be in attack mode and, and they've got to have, you know, they, they, they've got to have an, an early breaking point because the last thing you want to do is walk off the field with a loss and shoot a really good opportunity in the foot because you lose this game, it's all over. I mean, you are now in a situation where you're living week to week and you're in a crappy conference so you don't have any margin of error whatsoever. And that's <laughs> that brings us to the sorry state of the Big 12 again. But, you know, that's... <laughs> <laughs> well, look, the Big 12 is back, and Oklahoma is back. And, and the last time we spoke was right before the Red River rivalry, which turned into being, I think, what we all kind of thought it was going to be, um, you know, a battle of two teams that are pretty inept in a lot of areas and, and maybe a survival of one team not making as many mistakes as the other. And I, I think that's the way we actually put it the last time we spoke was something along the lines of whichever team, you know, doesn't shoot themselves in the foot as many times as the other is going to win this game. Uh, that, that was the case. I mean, these are two teams that, uh, you know, the penalties were through the roof. The turnovers were through the roof. Special teams mistakes on both sides. Like, it was, it was just a complete disaster that ended up being a thrilling roller coaster ride and, and, you know, a game that probably had no business even going to overtime, much less four. But there we were. And I kind of feel like, you know, from, from that point to where we are today and the amount of time that's passed, you have a bunch of Sooner fans that I think feel rejuvenated to a degree. And, you know, it was it was that win and some time off, you know, maybe maybe got them to shed the bad feelings they had about the back-to-back -back losses. And then there's the other group that I think, you know, maybe a little too hard on Oklahoma, but at the same time, a win, one win alone, doesn't necessarily just correct all the bad things that we've watched Oklahoma do for, for three straight weeks in Big 12 play. No, that felt like a loss. If you're being if you're being honest, if you take the logo off the off the helmet of who OU was playing, and say you took that Longhorn off the helmet and you slapped, uh, you slapped a Power Cat on it, or, or you slapped a an, inter, an interlocking BU, that's going to feel like a loss. And that's the reason why you're seeing some of these OU fans take so much joy in that win is just simply because of who the opponent was. It was Texas. So yeah, you could play awful for over 60 minutes in a game come close to losing it but as long as you win and beat texas everything's happy but that's not really where the mentality should be right now um ou's in a hell of a lot of trouble there are a lot of things eating at this team first first and foremost besides just playing god awful god awful piss poor fundamental defense lack of fundamental defense You've had the distraction of Ramondre Stevenson, Perkins, and Trajan Bridges hang over this team every week. The biggest criti criticism shouldn't go to the players. It should go to the coaches because they keep complaining about it. Lincoln Riley, PR 101. When you're asked that question, the way you handle it, you get Belichickian. You just say they're not with us. When, we're, when they're with us, we'll talk about it. When they can play, we'll talk about it. 
and done. You skirt it. You end it. I'm not here to talk about people who can't play. I'm here to talk people who can play. Lincoln Riley has been playing this feel sorry for us card all season long with that topic, which is obviously filtered down to his team. Um, You think about that game, Colby. What's so odd about that game is there were probably about three, four times you thought, oh, you had that in the bag, the double-digit lead, uh, the the two-score lead in, in the fourth quarter, and then they let Texas come back on them. You know, regardless of where the 39 seconds should be or what, don't even complain about that. Don't want to hear it. You let them come back from a double-digit lead. Then you had Gabe Brickert inexplicably <laughs> miss a field goal after after you keep Texas from scoring in, in, in one overtime. And it just – it didn't feel so much that OU won that game as more as Texas lost it. And quite frankly, neither team deserved to win. Probably neither team deserved to lose. I mean, if you want to be that way about it, but neither team really deserved to win that game. And to see all the memes and the hats and people taking digs at Sam Ellinger, I mean, yeah, it's fun. I mean, you're poking fun at your rival, but the truth of the matter is you take off the crimson glasses, you're looking at a program that is an absolute wreck right now. And, you know, some of that is suspension. Some of that is guys sitting out, COVID, whatever. But it doesn't feel like you don't see week-to-week improvement from anybody on that team except one guy, and that's Spencer Rattler. So do you give the credit to him? Do you give the credit to Lincoln Riley? It's probably a combination of both. But he is the one guy, even through his mistakes, seems to be taking this all in stride. Everybody else on that team, listen listen to to Alex Crenshaw, listen to Lincoln Riley, listen to any of their players. They're searching for answers. I mean, they're giving you stock stuff because, quite frankly, Colby, they don't know what to say. Um, and it's Do not you get the feeling get any- like like they are still in that position, like going into this week against TCU? Do you still feel like they are, are kind of searching? Yeah. Yeah, they are. Um, And what you're going to see is something that may help is you're going to see some major changes in the secondary. You're going to see all those guys that got an opportunity to play against Texas get an opportunity to play against TCU. Um, What you hope is that it wasn't just a one-week, one-hit wonder, and then they come back and and they're able to play consistently. Um, OU's got so many problems to solve. I was talking to my former co-host, Anthony Fogle, this week, and he brought up some. Thing. And remember, this guy played secondary at OU. He, he brought up something that was really alarming. He goes, he told me, he said, what is the deal at OU where you see secondary players, no matter who the coach is, progressively get worse, worse throughout their career? Like, Brandon, Brandon Radley Hiles is worse than when he came onto campus. And I think he's been through a couple of different coaches. What's going on there? What is that? That is a culture thing. Well, isn't that, is that that's a, what that's a position we we say this at all levels that you have to have supreme confidence and you have to have that ability to get beat on a sixty yard touchdown and put that out of your mind and go line up across from the guy the very next play and think yeah. that you're going to win that battle again, right? Yeah, you got to be Mariano Rivera. I gave up the home run. I gave up the home run last night. We lost the game. Put me back. Put me back on the mound today. And I'll throw my cutter and it'll, it'll, you know, run in on his hands. Um, Brett Favre. Oh, so I threw four picks. So what? I'm going out there. I'll throw a, t- I'll throw a touchdown the next series. Baker, May- Baker Mayfield exemplified that. Um, but yeah, you don't have those. Those guys aren't on that campus right now in that secondary. 
they're not on that campus right now in the defense Colby I'm not sure they're on the uh, really on the campus I- anywhere I think Austin Stogner is probably a guy that believes in his talent and should um Charleston Rambo's been a little bit disappointing this year but you know again you're looking at a guy who's a red shirt freshman that's gonna have to pull this team through and and can he convince guys who are older than him guys who are who are beaten down that it's going to be okay can he fool them into thinking we got this we're fine just just relax i fully expect them playing tcu this week to be a high scoring game and to really come down to who has the ball last i mean the number we've put up on the pat jones show for the ou defense is 31 can you hold tcu to 31 points if you do that you've got a chance to win that's sad man yeah I mean, it's it's you know we should be asking can can they hold them to twenty one can they hold them to seventeen points can they be that dominating no he just hold them to thirty one for us this week and I don't I don't see it getting fixed this year I'm not sure what the answer is because you fire you fire a coach well you still stuck with the same players on scholarship. I mean, you're going to have to have some sort of major overhaul on players, which is very difficult to do in college unless you want to, you know, kick all your kids off the team and then just recruit what you can from the transfer portal. I mean, they're just kind of rebuilding or retooling, whatever you want to say it, but it's not it's not an easy fix the way that fans want it to be, and I don't see it. I'd ask you this. Do you see this being a typical OU year? Do you think that they found what they needed against Texas and now we're going to see them rip off a bunch of wins and, and, and ultimately end up in the Big 12 championship? I think the lack of experience probably prevents me from going all in on that, but I, I still believe it's the most talented team in the league. And I was asked this question a couple days ago, is Oklahoma more likely to run the table or lose two more games? And I just said yes. Because, like, <laughs> I don't even know how to answer that it's because both, answer. I think, are very – it, it might be a 50-50 thing. I think both are, are very within reach for this group. Again, they're more talented than everybody they're going to play the rest of the way. They should win. Are they as good as Oklahoma State right now? I don't think that's the case. Are they more talented across the board? Yes, I, I believe that's the case. So, Ooh, they're, they're not going to be favored right. against Oklahoma State. Um, you know, a, a game like TCU, I don't think TCU is as good as Oklahoma, but – could TCU beat the Sooners on Saturday? Absolutely. I mean, Oklahoma's done nothing through this season that would suggest that they are not going to have about 100 yards in penalties, that they aren't going to have three turnovers, that they aren't going to have some special teams miscues, that they're not going to give up some third and longs to Max Duggan, you know, do just doing some stupid stuff, uh, extending plays or, or running the ball himself. Like, those are just things that I think are reasonable to expect until they start proving on a consistent basis otherwise at the same time like you you watch that texas game dude with seven minutes left in the game the oklahoma defense had played a hell of a ball game yeah they had they had they had almost i mean short of the the oklahoma offense turning the ball over and putting them in some bad situations they had damn near pitched a shutout and then i thought the the coaching staff did them an incredible disservice by going into that that bullshit prevent mode and only rushing when they had dominated the line of scrimmage for four quarters or three and a half quarters, they decide all of a sudden we're going to go into a three man rush. We're going to put everybody back in coverage. We're not going to dominate the line of scrimmage like we've done all day long to not allow Sam Ellinger to get going. And and as soon as they did that, Texas three straight drives 
goes down the field. Luckily, the one with seven minutes to go results in an interception in the end zone at the end of that. But, like, it was literally at that moment, they just decided, you know what, seven minutes left. We don't, and this is where I go back to trust. They don't trust either side of the football right now. They didn't trust anybody on that team to do what they needed to do the rest of the way, so they got uber conservative. That that that's a good way to put it. I'll go back to what you say. Are they more talented than OSU across the board? I don't know that I would agree with that right now. Um, certainly on defense, I don't think they're as talented as OSU. I think the offensive lines at best are a toss-up, even though OU has the best player, you know, on the two offensive lines in Creed Humphreys. Quarterback right now, I mean, would you take Sanders over Rattler? I think it's probably a wash. I mean, we, we, we haven't really yeah. seen Spencer Sanders play this season. I mean, essentially. No. So. Um, and running backs, I mean, OU's running backs are just guys right now. I mean, and, and, you know, Marcus Major looked okay against Texas, uh, looked better than he did against Missouri State. Um, but you don't have – you don't have the supreme talent at OU that you've had over over the last few years. I mean, it is shocking to see the the, the drop off from this year to last year. I mean, and then there are reasons for that, but yeah, you know, OU should never OU should never have that kind of stark drop off. I mean, I think man for man, I can think of at least five guys on the OSU defense I trade for at this point if I was OU. Offense, uh, yeah, 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 for sure. I, I would uh, offense. I would certainly trade running backs. I certainly would trade running backs. I'd rather have Chuba Hubbard and LD Brown right now. This is a it's a weird year because it doesn't happen often, and it's not going to happen often. So if you're an OU fan, don't freak out. It's one in like every fifteen years at the at the most where you ever see a situation like that, and. I, I don't know that OU is the most talented team in the Big 12. Right now, I'd actually lean towards OSU on that statement. Um, I, I do think OSU has more athletic talent. I think they've got the best receiver in the league. I mean, I would take Tyler Wallace over anybody OU has right now. Um, and that's just, that's just how it kind of turned out this year. I think OU is probably... I think OU's probably more talented at tech than Texas and certainly everybody else. I just, I don't know that they really are more talented than OSU right now. And just really honestly can't believe I'm saying that, but I think OSU's defense is more talented. I think from an individual player standpoint, yeah, you're right. Chuba Hubbard is, is better than any Oklahoma running back. Tylen Wallace individually is better than any OU receiver. I think Oklahoma across the board has more depth than Oklahoma state does. And, and then where I and think there's should. the biggest difference in these two teams Oklahoma State has experience. Like, I, yes, I, I don't know that I, I feel like Oklahoma State's more talented, but they're certainly more experienced. And when you have really good football players and you add the level of experience that they have, especially on the defensive side of the ball, you're getting a really good result. Yeah, and uh, you know, you, you look at you look at OU this year, and I think it's just there's a lot of mind games that that need to be played between the coaching staff and and the players. And what I mean by that is is that you got to kind of fool them into thinking they're better than what they are. That's what you've got to do if you're o, if you're OU right now. You've got to uh, not so much coddle them, but you you've got to handle them in a way where where they build up confidence and maybe they start to believe that there's something that 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 maybe they're actually not. 
like maybe, hey, I can go out and I can make that play. I can cover that guy or I can, you know, I can make that tackle and I don't have to dive at that guy's feet or whatever. But it's going to take that kind of coaching from now until the end of the year until they can build up enough momentum to be that good. Um, you know, you were asked, you know, are they most likely to to win out or lose two games? I think they lose two more games. I think they end up losing to Oklahoma State. It wouldn't surprise me if they lost to West Virginia this year, uh, simply because West Virginia's turned out to be better than I, than I thought. I mean, I don't think there's a game on OU schedule right now that can't go either way. I mean, what, what is the guaranteed win? They don't play K-State, and unfortunately, Skylar Thompson's hurt, so they don't get K-State with a hurt quarterback. I mean, is Tech a guaranteed? Oh, Kansas. Kansas is a guaranteed win. Kansas I, I think Tech, tech is, a, is really yeah. close as well. Tech's oh, do, horrible. You th- so you think that is a guaranteed win? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I tend to agree with you on that one. That is that is a bad football program. They are not good there. at all. Not good at all. <laughs> Yuck! Oh man, yeah, it's, it's well, look. I, th- there are there are issues, and you know maybe they figured out something. Not that it's fixed, but you know I think Oklahoma fans for the last year have been calling for some other guys in the secondary to get opportunities, and you know they have been, I think, pretty stubborn about the fact that they're playing their best guys, and that that nobody else is good enough to deserve a chance at that point. And finally, they just you know they got to a situation where they had to and. They had positive results. Now, I, again, we can all point to outliers in almost every situation, and maybe the way that that defense played against Texas is the outlier of this season, but they certainly dominated the line of scrimmage. They were better on the back end of the defense. Uh, I think for the most part, tackling was better. Uh, they did a lot of things in a, in a much greater fashion than they had against Iowa State or Kansas State. The question is, does that, that, does that translate two weeks later to this TCU game? Can they do that that stuff consistently? They could play really well on Saturday. Again, from a consistency standpoint, though, I feel like I've got to see that same type of product consecutively for like three or four games before I am I'm willing to start saying, you know what? I think they're they're doing something special. They're they're getting better. We saw improvement last year, and it took several games for me to to see it consecutively before I was really willing to say, you know what? Alex Grinch is doing a really good job. They are getting better. And then for whatever reason, this offseason and going to, you know, jumping into that Kansas State game, all of a sudden you saw all this regression and, and you saw all of those old issues come to the forefront and everybody's having the same conversations again. So, I, like, I, they could... This TCU offense, I don't think, is dynamic. What do they average? Like 30 points a game-ish? 29 yeah, points a game? Not, yeah, they're not great. And, they're, and their defense isn't that good either. I yeah. mean, this is really this is really a best and average TCU team, and I, I don't think OU's ever feared TCU since yeah. they've come into the they, Big they Twelve. They should win the line of scrimmage no defensively. To fear them this year. Yeah, I would think so. I think I, I think OU, I, 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 it, I OU should win this game. They should win it convincingly because I don't think TCU's that good, but. It's the whole trusting of of OU that if you do get up by somewhere between 14 and 21 points, can you hold on to that lead? Or as you say, do they play conservative or do they just lose confidence? Because all it takes is you're up by 21 and TCU makes it a one score game. And then all of a sudden it starts creeping into here we get here we go again. 
You know, we're, we're back in this situation. And, you know, Spencer Rattler seems to be making more mistakes as the week goes on. It's so weird. He's making more mistakes as the weeks go on, but he also seems to be getting better. I've never seen anything. I can honestly tell you that I've never seen anything like that because I, he's probably good for at least two turnovers every game at this point. I mean, just by misreading something, but you know, you, you don't see him lack for confidence and his, and his throws tend to get a little sharper. He puts it a little bit more on the money. He knows who he can rely on. So he's found his security blankets. Um, you do see him going through his progressions. I don't see, okay, you tell me this. And I just, I wonder about this. I don't see him lock on to guys the way that you used to see Trevor Knight or even Baker, even Baker Mayfield do. No, no not at all. I mean, he seems to go through his progressions really well, and that's getting better every week, but there's going to be something. I guarantee you there'll be two times in this game he misreads something, and there'll be, a, there'll be a turnover. Or, and we saw this in Texas, he's going to be guilty of trying to do too much because he knows what he needs to be in order for this team to win. And, and I can't criticize him for that. I can't. When he makes a mistake like he did against Texas where – they ended up pulling him where, where he's got his arm cocked back and he throws the ball out and and it, it ultimately ends up in a fumble. It's like, yeah, that was stupid, but he was trying to avoid a sack. Yeah. And he's a freshman right. and he knew what, what field position meant. So, you know, I'm probably with Spencer Rattler. I'm probably guilty of giving him a hell of a lot more leeway than a lot of people will just because I see – what he has to deal with every week and and understand what he has to do so yeah i'd rather have that guy on my team than somebody who's going to be passive and go into a shell because you, you can't win with that cat right you can win with spencer rattler right yeah look I, I i told you that last time we talked uh spencer rattler's at the very bottom of my concern list that hasn't changed um, you know, I, I think, again, you have to understand going into the season, regardless of what your expectations are, if you have a freshman quarterback, there are going to be mistakes. There are going to be some things that he just has to, like some mistakes that he has to make to kind of learn from before he becomes the all-world player that, that some of us think he could be. Uh, so, again, mistakes are going to happen. You want to see him learning from those mistakes and not making the same ones over and over. But there are going to be some some bumps in the road for most freshman quarterback, especially at a school like Oklahoma, and especially in a situation where you don't have a lot of experience around you anyway. The offensive line hasn't been great. There's not an established playmaker or playmakers offensively. I think we really really like the talent around him, but a lot of it's inexperienced, and and yeah. you know there's a lot of I think undefined talent at this point on that Oklahoma offense. So they're all kind of going through that and learning together. But, you know, when I see him make mistakes, it, it's it's not like I'm like, that's a problem. That's something that looks like it could be a problem over and over and over. It's it's not been the same mistake necessarily. So, again, I think you have to understand with a freshman quarterback, mistakes are going to happen. But I think watching him every single week, and this is, this is, I think, even including the losses, the good just by miles outweighs the bad. It's not would even close. We, would we would we feel the same way if if he was playing with the talent that Kyler Murray was playing with and he was making these kind of making these kind of mistakes will we still say the same will we still say the same thing or because the talent hasn't been as good around him as it's been for the last couple of guys where 
we're willing to put up with more. Well, I, so I think speak. because because the talent's not as good, I think you're asking him to do more, and you're asking him to be probably a little bit different than you would be in that situation. I don't think we would be asking Spencer Rattler near as much in that offense with that same supporting cast. Uh, number one, simply because you're going to have a dominant run game. I mean, they don't have a dominant run game. No, and that, golly, of all the things that OU doesn't have. Although, I thought last week against Texas. They did run the ball well against Texas. They ran the ball yeah. really well. And, it, that, I mean, it was – it kind of felt like the heavens opened up watching watching some of those yeah. running backs. It's like, are you kidding me? This is – yes, they've been lacking. I mean, it's almost – and what, what I can't figure out, and there's probably a lot of people in the situation, is how much of that was Oklahoma getting better – Versus how much of that is Texas is just really bad right now. And, I probably and put more of it on Texas being really bad, but I think we'll get a, a better barometer against TCU this weekend. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm with you on that. I mean, if we see them do that again, you can start to feel better. Um, and here's the look. For as, as much of a mess as OU is right now, if you're an OU fan, take solace in the fact that at least you're not Texas right now. Because... <laughs> It God, man, it seems like it's just a never-ending dumpster fire down there in Austin right now, which tells me as much as I don't think it is a great fit because I just think this guy is – he doesn't put up with a lot of crap, and at Texas you need to. It, I, if I'm Chris Del Conte, I am already in negotiations with Urban Meyer right now. I need that guy. I need a guy of his stature, his – when he walks into the room – all eyes are on him. All eyes are listening. And even if at Texas, it's only a temporary thing because everything is always only temporary at Texas before they, uh, before, before their donors and everybody else screw that program up. But if I can just for five years, four years, get everybody on the same page, get them to focus on one guy, then I can have the best program in the country. I can actually rival Alabama. I am in negotiations with him yesterday and starting to push Tom Herman out the door because Herman's got himself into a really bad situation with this Eyes of Texas deal where he's doing the right thing. He's siding with the players. He needs to. But you're getting pressure from the regents, the president, and the athletic director to have the guys on the field. Well, Herman, you put yourself in a situation where you can't now tell them to go back on the field because you've already told them, do what you want. You know, you're the players you play here. If you don't like that song, go in the locker room, do whatever. Now you can't demand them being out. You can't go back on your word or you, you lose respect. And he may have already lost the locker room, but that will ultimately seal his fate. Any chance he has to get this team back on track, he has to stand with the players. And unfortunately, you've got too many other factions at work that want it to be the opposite way. So, yeah, you've... You have to make a change. Texas doesn't Texas doesn't have a choice to make a change. And I feel bad for Tom Herman because he doesn't get a chance to correct it, but sometimes things are out of your control. And I think once he gets away from Texas, he'll realize how much better off he is. Yeah. Look, <laughs> just, I expect a change to happen. If it doesn't, that just says that either uh, nobody else wanted the job or nobody else wanted the job. I can't can think you, of another can you imagine? That's, that's it. Can you imagine? Well, I'm going to ask you, if you're Urban Meyer, USC, Texas, which one do you want? Probably Texas. Okay. But uh, that's probably more just because of the Pac-12 than anything. 
and the fact that you're in a region where, I mean, if you get it rolling, people are, I mean, religious about it. Yes. Whereas, I mean, even when you're really good at USC, you're still like fourth on the totem pole in LA. It's probably one of the reasons why I would want the USC job. Um, it just seems like they've got just the, the cliche is cooks in the kitchen. They've just got less of those people who are writing checks and telling you how to run the program. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, you might get Mark Sanchez or, you know, Matt Leinert may call you up a time or two to tell you how to run things, but you're also the program that's going to have Will Ferrell out of practice. You're the program that's going to have Snoop Dogg lurking around and there's uh, a looser atmosphere where at Texas, it's, it's so buttoned down you're never 100 in texas you're never 100 percent in control at usc we've seen john robinson we've seen pete carroll we've seen john mckay and if urban meyer went in there they would be in 100 percent control of that program at texas the last guy who was in 100 percent control of texas was daryl royal that does the last guy everybody else at some point or another it all catches up to him and i don't think urban meyer would be any different i don't think urban meyer's I think Royal just kind of is the last is the last guy that that everybody was willing to let do whatever he wanted to in that program. Yeah, which it, which is sad because Mac Brown was a heck of a coach. Fred Akers was a heck of a coach, and if you just I think if you had just left them alone, they'd have figured things out. But that's that's me. That's me well, Mac that. Brown was great there because he's a politician, right? He could he could handle yes. both sides of it. He could do the the coaching side while also being political and dealing with the higher-ups at the same time. I mean, that's why I think he he did a great job there for, for a long time. But, you know, again, you can't do that forever, and it's going to catch up with you at some point. No, and that's the, th- that's the thing with, with, <laughs> with Urban. You know, at some point, he's going to tell the wrong person to kiss his ass. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just that's, – that's Urban Meyer. But and that's also why, you know, Texas may be down forever. I mean, it's – at yeah. some point, you gotta you got to let somebody take the reins that knows what the hell they're doing. The only, the only bad thing about hiring Urban, if you're Chris Del Conte or anybody else, is that you, you've got to realize it's like, okay, look at what he did at Ohio State and look at what he did at Florida. He's a weird guy. There comes a point where he just, it seems like he just gets tired of the job. Like he just doesn't want to do it anymore. So he does this faux retirement kind of thing. So you're hiring him knowing that the that, that once he steps foot, the clock the clock starts. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's ticking on, it's ticking absolutely. on him. So you've got to have, you know, you, you've got to, you got to really work with him on his assistants and who he's hiring. And, and half those assistants that you interview, you got to ask yourself, could this guy be the next head coach of Texas? Because I may need him on a moment's notice. I may need him tomorrow with urban, with, with urban Meyer. I got to have that guy to make an easy transition. And that's probably the one red flag that you, that, that you have with him that, and he tends to play a little fast and loose with uh, morally with the program. But I don't think Texas minds that as long as, as long as they're winning, I don't think they would, they would care if he, yeah. if he did that. Let's uh, let's wrap up with uh, this coach talk because I wanted to ask you a question. It was something that I, I talked about a little bit yesterday, but didn't really have a, a chance to to talk in length about. Um, right now, it's the coaching thing is a weird situation anyway because of the state of the world and and you know the uncertainty of of what college athletics are going to look like in the spring or even next fall, and you know even the the uncertainty of whether you're going to play a football game next week for that matter. 
So the reason I'm asking this is the Dallas Cowboys are absolutely atrocious. Once again, they're just a train wreck. And the rumor mill fired up again, you know, after they lose another (laughs) game. Get rid of Mike McCarthy. Lincoln Riley's got to be the guy or at least one of the guys that you need to to go call. And look, for the record, I don't think Lincoln Riley is leaving Oklahoma for Dallas. But I do think, given the circumstance of the world and COVID and the amount of, what's the best way to say it? I guess, like, the amount of politics that play into college football versus what an NFL gig would be, I wonder if, just simply for those reasons, it would be more appealing now than ever if you were a guy that maybe at some point wanted to make that jump. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, and I mean, look, you you hit the nail on the head because, first of all, the, the NFL being the multi-billion dollar empire that it is, I mean, their COVID, their COVID testing is state of the art. And as we've seen, it's, it's never, I mean, you're never not going to have problems. But one, you don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to have enough tests. You know, you're never going to have to worry about contract or contact tracing. Um, the NFL has done so well in, in that area. You know, you're, you're going to play every week or a game may have to be moved, but you're not going to have to worry about 21 day 21 day layoffs the other thing with the with the nfl and and why it's probably appealing to so many guys is god i mean how how long do you want to kiss teenagers butts in in recruiting that's got to get old that that really does sure you got to meet with the media every day in the nfl but there is there's no recruiting there's no there's no sales job it's just straight up coaching football and that's got that unless you just want to be the guy and just sort of be lord of a lord of a fiefdom the way that the, the Nick Saban is at Alabama i think it's it's got to have a lot more appeal to the to the truer football guy who doesn't like to deal with all the ancillary crap that you do in college but yeah i mean and the other the other reason is um, especially if you're at a, a smaller school, even if it's not a head coaching job, you know, you're at a, at a group of five school, the money that you've lost this year, even starting it back up in the Mac in the mountain West is still, you know, it's still devastating. So things that you need to make the program better, you're not going to have, I mean, you're looking at a long recovery for a lot of college football programs financially. So even if you had the opportunity to leave being the head coach of someplace like BYU and go be the offensive coordinator at the Rams or go be um, go from being like the offensive coordinator at Boise State to a position coach um, with, with the Bills or whatever, that's that's a more that's that feels like a more stable job right now than, than it does in college football, unless you're at one of the blue blood programs. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd certainly go. Well, and, and look, I, I, Lincoln Riley is, and, and Oklahoma certainly deserves a, a ton of credit for the way they've handled everything over the last few months, and they've been as good as anybody in, in all of sports at, at testing and, and everything, you know, the the uh, things that they've put into place to, to prevent, you know, anything from happening, and, and Oklahoma to this point hasn't, you know, had a Baylor-type situation, so... Uh, you know, I know they right before the season they sent those kids home, and and they had that that period where they did have some positives. But 
they've done a, I think it's fair to say to this point, they've done a really good job of handling all of this. Yeah, they have. But the bottom line is in college athletics, there are just so many moving parts that dictate things about your job as a college football coach from, you know, just student body, presidents, donors, uh, you know, the conference you're in, other universities, and, and all the moving parts that they have to deal with. It just seems to me that if you ever wanted to make that jump, it would be so tempting right now to not have to deal with as many, not have to juggle as many balls as you do as a college football head coach. Whereas right now in the NFL, like you just go coach football essentially. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, Lincoln Riley and Cliff Kingsbury have a really good relationship. What the conversations between those two are like right now and how much is Lincoln picking his brain about, how he likes the situation at Arizona. You know, what, what, what are the differences? What, what, what can you do more of? What can you do less of? Where are the pains? And, you know, what, 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 what would I like? What would I, I not like in that situation? But I would think for a guy like Lincoln Riley, if you could be in a situation much like Cliff Kingsbury is, where all he really has to do is worry about the offense. I mean, he's kind of, he's essentially just a high-paid offensive coordinator. I think that would be appealing to a guy like Lincoln Riley. I think it really would. Um, he enjoys the recruiting aspect, which, you know, probably keeps him in this game a lot longer. That's one thing he truly loves. And, and you can see it on signing day. You know, even when, even when some kid is committing on television – you know, and then there's a little theater to that as well, but you still see him. He gets such a, a boyish joy out of the whole thing. It, it's somewhat refreshing. Right. Could he live without that? You know, could he live without going into somebody's house and getting to know them and their parents and making that personal connection, which seems really in, important to him with players and a guy, especially like Spencer Rattler to have that connection where 20 years from now they can pick up the phone and they can talk to each other in the NFL. You're going to make that connection, but it's all it's all, it starts at an adult level where you're more peers versus mentor to student. And does that appeal to Lincoln Riley to go into a situation like, let's just say, oh, let's, uh, all right, the Dallas Cowboys. Let's say he gets the Dallas Cowboy job. You know, it, it's not as if Dak Prescott's an old man, but he's not a rookie. He's been around. He knows the game. He right. understands what defenses are going to do. He knows how he likes to play. And it's not like Lincoln Riley's going to wrap his arm around his shoulder like he did Spencer Rattler and teach him how to become a better quarterback because the guy's already a great quarterback. Can he live with it being more of a a working relationship? Yes, you are the coach, but this guy's going to also help you game plan. And if that is more appealing, then yeah, you should jump to the NFL. I kind of wonder if Lincoln Riley has that mentality, though. I mean, yeah. at one point I thought, God, man, he would be such a he would be such a good NFL coach. I'm not sure he would enjoy it. The more I think about him, I'm not sure he would. I'm not sure Mike Gundy would either. I think Mike Gundy, I think Mike Gundy's very emotional about the college game. It's just different. And, and for Mike Gundy, even though he's flirted with, with with other jobs, there's something about coaching in Oklahoma State that, even if he doesn't like 
all the politics around being the coach at Oklahoma State, which can get really nasty, um, there, there's a loyalty to that town, to that school that he feels an obligation to. Um, you, you can still see it when he talks. And I think it's I, some of the internal things have been very difficult for him to deal with yeah. because of how much he's given to that school. But yeah, it's not nah, for me. Yeah, done. Yeah, I, I think if you have that itch, again, it's more appealing now than it's ever been to make the jump from college to the NFL. But to everything you just spoke about, I, I, I'm in agreement because I, I think I find Lincoln Riley to be very believable when he talks about how much he enjoys the college game and the recruiting process and the teaching element of the game. Again, you know, he could be lying through his teeth. I don't know. But I, I, I believe him, or at least I, I get a sense that he is passionate about those things when he talks about it. So that's why I don't think he would go. But, you know, I think the point is is very valid right now, given the state of the world, that if that option were available, it's it's more tempting now than maybe in any other scenario. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, look, if, if, Lincoln, if Lincoln Riley isn't genuine, it's a hell of an act, man. <laughs> For sure. For sure. <laughs> All right, my friend. Um, let's, let's get you out of here. Uh, I know you got a, a show to get to in Tulsa as well. So... Uh, appreciate the time. We will catch up again next week. And uh, thanks, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Colby. Eric G., co-host of the Pat Jones Show on the Sports Animal Tulsa 97.1, weekdays from 11 to 1. If you haven't done so already, please rate and review the podcast. That's a big help to me. If you haven't uh, subscribed, that would be a help as well. But I would love it if you would rate and review the podcast. And if you'd like to give me any feedback, it's always appreciated. At Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter, Colby.Daniels on Instagram. I do my best to reply to every comment I get. So hit me up on either one of those platforms and uh, give me a little feedback. Tell me what you think. All right, that is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels podcast. Everybody have a great Friday. Have a great weekend. I'll see you tomorrow morning for the pregame show at 9 a.m. Stay safe. Podcast is over.